Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I am Jason, and I identify more as an addict than an alcoholic in my lifetime, although when I drank, I was an alcoholic. Hi, I'm Jenny, and I'm a person in long-term recovery. So, as always, before we get into the you know, new, new recap, if you're looking to find us, converse with us, look at our terrible memes on Facebook and Instagram, <laughs> whatever it is, uh, we are on Facebook, we are on Instagram, we are on Twitter. We're on Reddit, though. I don't know that people actually follow people on Reddit, but maybe they do. Uh, you can donate to us. Thank you for our continued donations, especially Julie and Sarah, who have set up a monthly donation that comes to us. That's beautiful. Again, that money does not go in our pockets. It gets passed on to go back to the recovery community and helps people. You can give us podcast topic suggestions, I think, through Spotify, maybe. And we're on the web version of Spotify, and we're everywhere you can listen to podcasts, and we're on YouTube, and holy shit, there's a lot of ways to, you know, go over all that stuff. And Jenny has a blog on our website. I do. And all our episodes are on our website with transcriptions that totally come from YouTube and probably suck, probably not even close to accurate, but that's okay. So check all that stuff out. Uh, we also got a, a comment from Jordan on our YouTube that said, thank you for this. That was on our Tradition 8 episode, I believe. I did run into a a, a debate that wasn't much of a debate on Twitter, which was fascinating. I missed this. What was it? It was about our, our Big Book episode. And so when I posted on Twitter about the episode, I, I asked people, I was like, you know, should we change the big book you know should it be updated and uh i got a comment that said and and help me out here because i i felt like i was being open and this gentleman told me i was just argumentative so i i want to know from an outside perspective so feel free to criticize okay. if i was arguing so he said one of the main points about recovery is accepting things as they are Insisting on changing language we don't like is selfish, and we are supposed to lose that selfish, self-centered attitude. The meanings are the same as 1939, and people in recovery must learn to be flexible. Uh, okay. Can you be open? I think you can be open and argumentative. I think that's being argumentative is part of being open. But there's more? Go ahead. There's more. Okay. No, wait. There's more. <laughs> so originally he had said, absolutely not. No way. And I said, not in an argumentative way, but what's your thoughts on why not? And he said, one of the main points about recovery, accepting things as they are, right? And that it's selfish to want people to change their language because it means the same thing. So I said, so the book should not be updated because we need to teach those in recovery a lesson on dealing with it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you're being argumentative. Why do you want to change something that works? There are other 12-step programs if you don't like AA. Which to me is interesting if you don't agree with a necessarily a piece of literature that you don't like the program. That wasn't, I don't know, that was a stretch for me. And again, I said, I'm not trying to be. I thought you would talk about how great the book was. And when you didn't, I was trying to get to the root of what you said, which was that people needed a lesson. Just didn't seem like a good reason for not doing something. And I agree, it has worked. I said, but what if it works for 10% of people, but updating it would work for 20%? Wouldn't that be worth considering? Just trying to be open to possibility. And his response was, man, wow, I like your account, but so much for not being argumentative, eh? Have a good day and stay sober, emotionally too. Don't let the fact that some won't agree get to you, or don't ask for opinions. I said, it's interesting that you think that having a discussion or someone disagreeing with you must be an argument. I said, all I've done is kindly ask questions. I hope you also have a good day. Yeah. I so guess, was I being argumentative? I mean, I, I am an argumentative person. so I, I know you. So I, I know it's like that. it's a seeking to understand argument. And that's probably because I know you. But people, you know, through Twitter may just put their whatever, their mask over top of you 
how they see the world. And you were arguing in there. That's that's their speak for arguing. It's fascinating to me because what I really took out of it, and I wasn't trying to be an asshole, so I didn't say this to him, but what I really took out of it was there's no open-mindedness. Like he wanted to point out these principles of like, we need to stop being selfish and we need to do this in order to recover. But I'm like, isn't open-mindedness a part of recovery? And to me, open-mindedness is being open to new ideas. That's what I think too. And the whole, you know, criticizing of the big book was either it's going to make your relationship with the big book stronger or it's going to break it. You know, like, is this big book strong enough to be challenged? You know, and if it isn't strong enough to be challenged, then it needs to be updated. I think you follow me. <laughs> um, I don't. I, I don't like conflict. I'm a guy who does not like conflict. My childhood says stay away from conflict. Um, I'm more open to that today. But when something like that happens and there's like it feels like instant conflict when I'm just trying to talk, I like I don't know what to do. Yeah, I th- I think the conversation just got convoluted in the interweb space. If you two were face to face, that probably would have been way better. Maybe you know, but how do you translate that into a hundred and forty four character, you know, blip? Maybe, maybe I, I don't know. I, I definitely, t- to me, uh, and, and I'm not trying to criticize this person, which is why I didn't put their Twitter name out there or anything. Oh, but I'm like, looking that up. <laughs> I, I'm like, why? It just felt like that old staunch weird got our heels dug in a a white dude that i picture honestly the judgmental person that i picture when i'm othering the AA people that i'm like yep that's exactly why i think the big mm-hmm. book needs to change yeah i i don't know i think anybody who's an aa today should be questioning i you know i think or i'm not seeing it the way they are i don't know like i i tend to agree with you obviously we hang out but like i'm like if Yes, I think if you really believed in the old timey expressions of this, this conversation we're having wouldn't bother you. If you really truly had faith, us discussing it, you would dismiss it. I think maybe they're not acknowledging that they too question it themselves. I don't know how anybody can think the book needs to stand as is with the two wives section in it. Like anybody that doesn't say, you right. know what, they really got to take yeah, that piece out. Yeah, that's the quintessential chapter. Yeah. Sexist as fuck, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so to not acknowledge that at all and to say it's perfect how it is just tells me, I don't know, at least I think it tells me just a little something about you. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Oh, you're you're like that, huh? <laughs> like fuck women. As long as it's fine for white men, it's mm-hmm. the book's great. It doesn't need to be changed. Fuck how it offends anybody else. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we did get one other comment on Twitter that was beautiful. It was from Kim, uh, and this was about the chronic illness episode that we did with Drew. Yeah, that was a good episode. And she said, "Is Drew on Twitter? Because I need him to know how grateful I am. Oh. Every soul-bearing word he spoke." landed and lightened my chronically ill fragile feeling soul tonight please thank him and let him let him know he's sort of my hero right now oh and uh what beautiful words that and was I, a, that's a nice comment yeah i passed that right on to drew good and it was awesome and i think he actually like he is on twitter and he ended up okay. reaching out to her and thanking her and stuff but it was a. Uh, I was like man that's the kind of shit that warms your heart that's mm-hmm what we're looking for. So I don't know. It's interesting. I guess I I can't ask questions on social media anymore unless I'm willing to totally accept people's answers without further conversation. That's what it is though. I mean, that you like to ask questions and you know, maybe, I think maybe when we first met, I'm like, is he picking on me? But then I was like, oh no, he's a questioner, which is probably one of your best qualities. You know, like, let's find out, you know, that's why we're here. And, um, you make me sound like Bill Nye or something. (laughs) How does this work? Let's find out. (laughs) That's what I feel when you say Uh, that. So, I mean, yeah, I can see some people are not used to that relationship. People are just, we're, you know, we're such a weird society these days. We're not used to questioning and finding out things and having curiosity. You know, it's just not as cherished, you know, as it was when we were kids. I actually, I'm sorry, did I cut you off? No, go ahead. Uh, I just, I really appreciate you sharing that initially you were kind of feeling like maybe I was picking on you because I had an interaction with somebody uh, and they were taking my questioning as if I was attacking them. And I was like, holy shit, what an overreaction, right? (laughs) And I was putting it all on them. I was like, I'm totally just sitting here being me. Jenny's fine with it. What the (laughs) fuck? 
And to know that you had that period of that same kind of thought process or feeling lets me know that, oh, maybe I do need to like evaluate that in the earlier stages so that and feel it out a little better. Maybe it does kind of feel like I'm, I'm like kind of picking people apart. I mean, to an extent, I guess I am, but not in the judgmental in a or mean way. way. Yeah. You're it, picking people apart in a, in a curious and open hearted way. Yeah, same thing I do with myself all day, every day. Like it just feels normal, I guess. I don't know. It's interesting. So anyway, we have spent a lot of time on that recap, which is probably good because I don't know what the <laughs> fuck we're going to talk about with this topic. But the topic is, is alcoholism different than addiction? And I thought in 2022, we all kind of thought it wasn't like they're very much the same. But we did an episode with a guy, Rob. A long time ago and he came on and, and he helps people with alcohol treatment and his take is that alcoholism is fundamentally different in the way it operates inside someone's body and brain and i i kind of was shocked by that when he said it but i i didn't you know i don't know he not to say that he talked a lot but he i didn't have a lot of space to challenge it and not that i really thought it was something worth challenging at the time either you didn't get to pick on him like you usually do yeah, he, uh, you know, we just had a lot of other conversation. He had a lot of good stories. So it was like, it just wasn't the place for it. But I do question that idea that alcoholism is different than addiction at its core. Um, and you had brought this up as a topic. And so I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm not sure exactly where we go with it. I tried to find some fancy research where they tested hypothesis of like, well, alcohol works on this part of the brain and addiction works on this part. And, but I mean, I think honestly, uh, one of the things you're getting at with this topic right off the bat is the idea that we still refer to them as alcohol and drugs, right? We don't, when you're saying things, you don't say like, oh yeah, you know, people who use drugs, you know, even if you mean to include alcohol, in order to specify that for the societal population, you have to say alcohol and drugs because people do not consider alcohol a drug, even though it is. Yeah, totally. And I mean, because alcohol is the more socially acceptable one. And there's so many ways to attack this, but like we have two different programs. We have Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous but they're treating the same disease or, you know, are we going to even call it a disease or maybe we won't even go there with that. But, um, that's another episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's more about like, I think you, me, and probably most of our audience, we have the educational and experiential knowledge that it is the same thing, but the perception of people outside of this club we're in is still that they're different. And, I thought we have something to explore here, like just the outsider perception. You know, it's more than just two different programs. It's just how people view it. Like I know I slipped up in an episode recently and I was like, well, I, I was just alcohol. And and you like kind of right away were like, oh, just alcohol. <laughs> but I still tend to do that. Like when I'm like, I, you know, and it's my biggest fear about doing this episode. And we talked about this topic a couple months ago. And uh, my biggest fear with doing this episode was I was going to sound judgy, but mostly it's just, I, the, the drug addict experience is foreign territory to me. And I was afraid I would say something or ask a question that would make me seem judgy. And I, that's really not my intention, but like, you know, as I got to know you and Billy and I, I learned more about your stories, I was just like, you know, like, wow. Cause I know you as, you know, drug free, sober folks. and when I hear about your life before I knew you, you know, I'm just like, it's like heartbreaking and grueling. And I'm like, I feel so bad. I'm like, wow, what you guys went through. And then, you know, I read a book about a heroin addict in Baltimore and just the details of his existence in drug addiction are so different than my story as an alcoholic. Now, truly the underlying issues for the addiction are the same. You know, it's like low self-worth, shame, fear, it's all that same stuff, but what it looks like, how it like manifests, you know, I, I just see it like I see in my own neighborhood, right? Class, just like in my little microcosm, the drug addicts and the alcoholics, very different. You know, the drug, the drug addicts are the thieves. 
they like they they creep around you know at night they they're not out and about socially but we all know they're there we know they are you know you know they don't they don't work um they have a you know a physical appearance that's different but the alcoholics are like right out loud with it you know we have a bar in my neighborhood and they go to it and they think it's funny when they do like drunken antics that could get people in the hospital you know and they brag about their endeavors and it's just like it's like all good humor but the drug addicts are shamed and you know like they point fingers and you know nobody you know like they're not accepted or because even when the the alcoholics in my neighborhood get so bad people are like hey man you get some help nobody does that with the drug addicts they're just like it's your own fault you chose that nobody mm. says that about alcoholics it's your own fault you chose that they're like man you should get some help you drink too much but the drug addicts like you did it to yourself <laughs> you know like it's this outside perception it's not and most of our audience is probably in the more enlightened side of like you know, this scale, but we still have this outside perception. I think that's worth discussing, dealing with, looking at. So what do you think? Is there also a church in your neighborhood? Not in my neighborhood, but we have plenty in the town. I was just curious because mm -hmm. uh, what I noticed living in Dundalk, right outside of Baltimore, mm -hmm. is it felt like every neighborhood, almost every block, there's a bar on one corner, a little neighborhood bar on one corner. And then a church on the other. Oh, it's like that public enemy line. And it's like, interesting. <laughs> That's so fascinating. And yeah. I think the same people go to both. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so what I was picturing when you were sharing that anecdote about what your neighborhood looks like and the disparities, I was picturing actually when I lived in Dundalk and these people, they lived right across this little street from us and their yard was like wide open to us and they would have house parties and all these drunk people in the yard and, you know, there was... The games, the cornhole, whatever. And then there's, as it gets later in the night, the music's a little loud and I'm over there annoyed. I'm like, I'm trying to go to bed, but mm -hmm. I'm looking out the window and now they've, now they've set an old recliner on fire and some dude's going to jump it. <laughs> yeah. right? And then he burns his face and goes home mm. and it's a big thing, whatever. <laughs> and I was just picturing like, can you imagine if it was like, 20 heroin addicts would they right? be in the yard like openly freely nodding out and you know shooting their drugs into their van like no they're gonna be in an alley somewhere they're gonna be in a basement somewhere they're gonna be in an abandoned building somewhere so it's interesting i guess the topic almost alcoholism versus addiction really translates more into the perception of alcohol versus drugs it's not that the addictive quality or nature of these substances actually lends itself to any scientific or biological or chemical makeup differences in the way they work. It's more, why do they look like they look like because of our society's tolerance or acceptance right. of alcohol versus its complete intolerance towards drugs, which is fascinating because I would think, I mean, you know, most of these morals in our country are guided by uh, Christian kind of concepts. Mm -hmm. I didn't think they were big on the alcohol either, but apparently that's the acceptable Christian vice. I, I don't know. It looks Christianity in practice, and I'm not trying to pick on Christianity because it's a fine practice, but in practice, I guess I find that the people who holler it the loudest in public seem to be the people who don't practice it the way they holler it very often. And that's, I don't know. That bothers me. Those that do don't talk and those that talk don't do. Yeah. Um, well, you know, there's the whole blood of Christ thing. I mean, sex outside of marriage is wrong, but that same guy that's hollering about that and how wrong it is probably has like four prostitutes that he goes and visits regularly. It's like it's oh, or sex yeah. workers, I should say. I'm sorry, not prostitutes, but just it's like just this behind closed doors. I do this, but then out in public, I spout these virtues. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny, like the Amish, you know, super, super into God, but they drink, you know, I mean, not Do all they? of them. Yeah. So the Amish and the Mennonites. That. Yeah. I mean, they vote each, each chapter, you know, or quadrant, you know, they, they have a consensus whether they do drink or not, but they drink, they smoke cigarettes, they grow tobacco. There's no way the Amish call their grouping a quadrant. There's <laughs> 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 just no fucking way that that's a thing. They don't know that word. That's like geometrical. <laughs> 
I ain't learning about that. Uh, I don't know. They have, you know, farms are geometrical. I don't. I can't picture them using quadrant. <laughs> that just doesn't sound right from their. Uh, I'm stopping at the farmers market on the way home from here, and I'm going to drop quad quadrant, quadrant in a yeah. sentence and see how they react. I got to be honest. I mean, that's a pretty judgmental and stereotypical statement of me because I don't talk to a lot of Amish people. So my I have friend no said you don't know geometry. My friend said you wouldn't know what the fuck a quadrant was. Yeah. Do you? I'll drop the f bomb in there too. Yeah, They'll yeah. love that. Throw the f bomb in there. <laughs> see how they react. Um. So, yeah, uh, one of the things I came across when I was trying to find this research of like, there's got to be something out here that makes a small distinction between alcohol and its effect on the brain and drugs and their effect on the brain. Again, we have to constantly say alcohol and drugs. Alcohol is a fucking drug. Mm -hmm. All drugs. I mean, and then we group drugs together like cannabis. Much different effect than heroin, much different effect than psychedelics, much different effect than cocaine, much different. Like there's all these drugs are just grouped together, even though they are vastly different. Yeah. Is it the medical insurance community that's coding it? That's dictating the way society thinks about this stuff? Is it because we have to code it a certain way? I don't think so. At least not anymore. So the... They're probably, uh, I want to say in the old versions of the Diagnostics and Statistics Manual, the DSM, the Psychiatric and Therapy World, you know, Bible basically, which is whatever, there probably was a distinction between, you know, an alcohol use disorder and a drug use disorder. But it has been fine-tuned now to where it's called substance use disorder and you actually label it with the specific drug that they're using. So it's not even just, they don't even group all the drugs together anymore. I mean, they do in the sense that alcohol is included and they're all drugs, but then when you diagnose it, it is like cocaine use disorder, nicotine use disorder, whatever. Like you actually put the specific drug to clarify. So if that was the cause, it is no longer being perpetuated at least. Okay. That's that's cool. I didn't, you know, did you know it's a marijuana anonymous? Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I was surprised when I learned that, like. That's because they got tired of getting yelled at by Bob Saget. <laughs> did you suck dick for marijuana? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they didn't want to hear that anymore, so they made their own group. You know, when I, when I was in active alcoholism, I did smoke pot too, and we loved that movie, my husband and I. <laughs> we, we bought that and we thought it was so funny. <laughs> you know, I watch sometimes an old movie and I'm like. Oh, I cringe now in 2022 at some of the stuff in it. I haven't seen that for a long time. I'm curious, like, how much of that wouldn't be okay in the modern time? Right. I'm curious, too. Actually, with kids now, you know, it's mostly, like, kids' movies. I don't watch many, like, well, I don't want to say adult films, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Things over a PG-13 You're not watching <laughs> adult films anymore, huh? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know what? Okay, so... Aside from substance use disorder, we can be addicted to other things. So adult films, you know. Behavioral addictions. Behavioral addictions. So if it's all the same, are the behavioral addictions all the same too? Does that light up parts so, of the brain? Let's start there or yeah. wherever you want to start. No, I actually, this is where I uh, went to go after I couldn't find any differences with the alcohol. Um, and from my looks into the research, it's still there's still a very big debate about whether, you know, process or behavioral addictions, as we call them, you know, and this would be like gambling, uh, sex addiction, you know, shopping, uh, addicted to your phone, whatever you want to call it. All these different ways that we. And can we add to like I've heard of like people addictions, like sometimes you're addicted to uh, like your partner. Like codependency. Or... kind of. Thing? Yeah, I think codependency. That's a I know that's a kind of a taboo word now. Is it? Okay. A little bit. It's It's got some weird connotations because the idea is when they came up with codependency, sorry, I know I'm getting this all over the place. We can come back. Yeah, yeah. When they came up with codependency, they were like, no, we can't be codependent on other people. We need to be fully functioning beings all on our own. Ah. And then- you know, add people to our life because we want them. And kind of what we're learning is that's not really true either because we're not, we're a social species and Mm -hmm. like we need social interaction to survive. It's like a a biological requirement for us. So it's not, we don't, I guess the fear is that by using the codependent term, we're actually telling people that they might need to be okay by themselves. And that's not the truth either. So we're kind of trying to navigate that codependency is just a misaligned attachment problem, really. 
Is that what they're calling it? Misaligned attachment? No, no. It's, it's just the concept of it. It's more like, it's not so much that I'm codependent. It, the problem is that my attachment is skewed okay. in a way that like I am overly attached to this person and their feelings feel like my responsibility. Yeah. Okay. I did meet someone in my recovery journey meeting who identified as having a people addiction, but you're right. She didn't say codependency. So she was an active therapy for it. When she talked about her addiction to people, she talked about it like real general terms, like one would with alcohol or drug addiction. Mm. I've never heard of somebody refer to it as a people addiction. That's what she called it. Yeah. So from the best of my understanding, the debate is still wide open in the professional, you know, educated community about whether behavioral addictions are the same, so to speak, ah. as substance addictions. But I would say yes. They're the fucking same. Where's the debate lie? I, I guess in the fact that substances are an external thing that we're putting into our body to create these chemical changes well, and sex reactions. <laughs> That's definitely something you're putting in your body. Um but not for the men. Well, no, that's not true. Not in 2022. <laughs> some of the men are putting some stuff in there too. Anyway, uh, it just lies in the fact that like there, I guess there's a bother that there's a, a natural aspect to the behavioral addictions. Like there's no foreign substance really coming in to create this alteration of your mood. It's just kind of like, like, so one of the things you hear about in a, a, a sex addiction meeting is the concept that like, the scary part is you're your own drug dealer. Like you can literally think a thought and produce the same euphoria that you would have to go and purchase a substance from someone to do. And like, that's so dangerous because like, how do you stop thinking? Right. <laughs> and especially how do you stop thinking about things that bring you joy or bring you relief? So I, I guess the debate is more just about the fact that there's no physical withdrawal necessarily um but that is i, I want to say that's dependent upon what you can measure right they're not in their measure and like how your dopamine level severely lacks after you stop participating in dopamine inducing things right so yeah how do you measure anguish yeah. yeah yeah they're they're only talking about like the actual physical like hey your nose doesn't get runny when you stop shopping online like okay yeah, yeah but I don't know. It's a little different. But yeah, basically, from my understanding, they're doing the same shit in the brain. They're creating the same processes. They're creating the same reinforcement and reward. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't feel like they're any different whatsoever. Is the person who, who gambles any less likely or, or do they have any easier ability to stop than the person who is drinking or the person who uses drugs? I don't think so. No, not problem. based on those great interviews you did like listening to the mm -hmm. the the gamblers anonymous and the gambleanon what was that one gammonon gammonon yeah. yeah that sounds like like the bad guy name oh gammonon's coming <laughs> the ninja turtles fight him. Yeah. yeah um that's like episode three in their series <laughs> they take um, on shredder and then gammonon <laughs> but uh actually i i really dug those episodes because i didn't know about you know gambling addiction except for surface stuff and i was really fascinated by the inside look there well, we did a we did a phone or technology addiction type episode a while back. That's the thing we did that. Um, I don't know. We did a sex addiction one. That's out there. I don't know. Unfortunately, that we found the people to come on and knowledgeably be able to talk about some of these other ones. But I would love to have somebody come on and talk about like struggling with a shopping addiction or. Yes. Things we don't even think about of a, as like addiction, like hoarding. Hoarding yeah. is its own form uh, of impulsive and compulsive behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I would love to have somebody who's struggled with that and found some freedom, hopefully, uh, to be able to come on and talk about what that is like and, you know, maybe get into more of the, how did this feel different for you? How did this feel the same for you? Um, the main difference in trying to recover or, or come away from a behavioral addiction versus a substance addiction is just the withdrawal. It's like your withdrawal is going to be different. It doesn't necessarily need to be medically managed in a behavioral addiction. Mm -hmm. 
that's it. You know, problem, problem or disordered eating would fall into the same category, which is why you see disordered eating rehabilitation programs at the same place you see substance abuse programs. Like they're at the same place because it's the same type of problem. So my understanding, the definition lies in the treatment. Maybe that's why drug addiction is different than alcohol addiction, different than eating disorder, different than behavior addiction, process addiction. Mm, I don't know. I think the treatment is kind of the same for all of them. They use a combination of like motivational interviewing, trying to get people to want to not do that behavior or to be able to see the effects of the behavior or consequences, try to be able to see their ability to have self-efficacy and have an impact on their own life through their own decision-making. I think the treatment is mostly the same. The detox, slightly different. But, I mean, while the the alcohol detox can be more life-threatening than most of the other drug detoxes, I mean, it's pretty much handled the same way. Maybe some slightly different medicines are given, but... This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our cause. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, I was shocked to learn in uh, rehab that the two drug detox or like you can die from an alcohol withdrawal and you can die from heroin withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was I was surprised to learn that everything else is just uncomfortable. Yeah, but, but those two, you could actually die. You actually need medical help for those withdrawals. Yeah, but you know, you just had a problem with alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a problem with alcohol. I had, I think, I had alcohol poisoning a few times like where you know like fever sweat shivers mm -hmm. you know i don't think i realized how like really bad that was at the time i was like woohoo i partied good didn't i like <laughs> <laughs> so i i guess to me the the alcohol addiction is no different than a heroin addiction or a marijuana addiction or any addiction addiction is addiction to me uh, even though the word kind of, I don't even, I try to move away from the addiction word anymore. Just, I don't know. So what do you say? I, I fucking talk in circles around it without any real good okay. terminology, unfortunately. Like addiction is the word that's understood. Right. But it's really hard when I'm sitting in a, a session with someone and maybe they're struggling with something that feels way more minor than addiction and doesn't impact their life externally in the same way like the the people who you think identify as being problem users of substances in your community right so maybe i buy things or eat to comfort myself or bring relief and i'm sitting in a session with a therapist and you know i got some extra weight but it's going to be hard for me to identify with being called some form of addict or being stuck in an addiction when I'm not out on the street and homeless or hiding in the shadows. Like I'm just in my house with my family. So it's really, it's kind of tender to try to give them that idea that they're having that same struggle and caught in that same grip and cycle when you, you, you got to get not use that word. <laughs> yeah. And so it's that perception. I think that, held me back from getting help um and i think maybe others is that 
I was just drinking, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I saw people way worse. I'm like, well, they're drug addicts, you know, like they, they can't hold a job. You know, everybody's, you know, their family doesn't even like them, you know, like, so the fact that I could go to work every day, even though I wasn't operating at half, you know, intelligence, yet being just an alcoholic made me, I don't know, I didn't think I needed help because so many people were functioning like me, you know, and supposedly getting along, you know, in in life. Yeah. And, And I think that's where we come into the difference between alcohol and drugs. And it's not in any way that they operate on the body, even though there is a, obviously a difference between how every drug operates on the body, but in the addictive piece of it, they're, they're all doing the same shit in your brain and your body. Like they're all affecting you that same way to make you keep using it. But the difference is in the way the society chooses to look at the substance. Mm-hmm. Why are drug addicts or people who have problem drug use, why are they out there and homeless and not able to go to work and possibly like having to sell their bodies for the next hit of that? Why is that? It's not because the drug is any worse or any more addictive or doesn't have any stronger draw to do another one. It's because they can't get it. It's illegal. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's the only reason. Well, and you know what else too? I noticed the drug addicts, at least that I see, like, and I have learned about it. You have to have it every day. You know, like, even when I was in alcoholism, I could go a day or two and, and be okay. But, I mean, they absolutely go nuts if they can't get their substance. Yes, for the most part. I mean, uh, again, I'm talking about the microcosm that I see in my neighborhood. So, right. And, and I think, at least from my experience, because this, I can't really generalize this to everybody. So it's anecdotal. But yes, generally, it had to be every day. Like there had to be something every day. But there were times when I was like really getting towards the end of the road for me. Things weren't working out. I was trying to figure out how to stay in my parents' house and do the things I needed to do. And and I would end up laying around for a day or two at times. Not very often, but it happened where I was like, I just don't have it in me to go try to find $10 today. I'm going to drink the fucking NyQuil in the cabinet and try to lay in bed and just be miserable for a day. And I would do that from time to time. So it wasn't like a a biological imperative, but there is a really strong desire to like, maybe the, the withdrawal happens quicker. Maybe like after heroin, it's like six hours later, I'm going to start feeling that withdrawal. Whereas with alcohol, it's like 24 hours later, I might start feeling a little not so great. I think with alcohol, I mean, and I guess it depends on the user, but it seems just less dramatic. Like, so maybe if I didn't get my alcohol, I'd be grumpy or cry or something, but I wouldn't be frantic. You know, I just, I wouldn't go to that extreme. Well, and to, and to put this in perspective, that's a little bit anecdotal too, right? Because there are the people who, if they haven't had a drink today, Sorry. they're shaken and they're like, mm-hmm. can't keep it together and their stress level and stress response and their nervous system is through the roof. So in right, your right. case, maybe that's not the, the case. And I, I do think you're onto something like there does seem to be a fundamental difference in that. Not fundamental, maybe, but uh, for most people, there is a difference. Like the most heroin users are probably going to have it every day. But I, again, I, and this is where I wish I guess I was a little more knowledgeable about the science. Maybe alcohol has a longer half-life and it stays in your body longer. In fact, I almost can guarantee that. Because they talk about, I remember learning about how alcohol breaks down when they're giving you those like uh, safe alcohol use classes in college or whatever. Like, hey, this takes forever. You know, if you only drink these two drinks early in the night, it takes these amount of hours for it to break down in your body by your kidneys and blah, blah, blah. So that is a thing. Like, it, <laughs> that it stays was definitely with you stored in the brain cells that died. I don't remember that class. <laughs> <laughs> I went to college recently. Okay. Um <laughs> I do remember in rehab, though, they talked about, so if I drank and like, this would be a typical day off for me, like, uh, you know, start drinking like one, two, three o'clock and then wasted by eight, pass out, maybe I would wake up at two or three in the morning because when alcohol is processed through your body, it releases adrenaline and you'll wake up. And um, that's the reason I think I see 
sometimes when I walk my dogs early, I see these alcoholics that I know are partying the day before or drinking, you know, the way they do, whatever, mowing their lawns, you know, and I see them up so early. And I, I think it's because the adrenaline is released as the alcohol, as the alcohol is processed through your body, there's adrenaline release and they wake up. So, and then they take a nap and they start drinking again. So, so take us back. I'm taking us back to, you know, 1949. There was like the beginning hints of the Narcotics Anonymous program, right? The beginning split away from AA to we need something else for this other substance because we don't feel accepted. 1954, I believe, is is the beginnings of Narcotics Anonymous in, in real form. Yes, alcohol is much more socially acceptable. To be an alcohol user with a problem at that point in time, you know, that was Bill that lived next door with his wife and only beat her once a week. Like that was okay. But the person on a drug addiction or problem drug use, much less acceptable. I guess the problem for me and what I didn't realize until doing this podcast is that 70 years later in 2022, that's still the case. Mm -hmm. It is still much more socially acceptable to have a problem with alcohol than with other drugs. And I'm, I'm baffled by it. Okay. It's, I always think follow the money too. So still more socially acceptable. When I cruise around Cecil County, Newcastle County, there is a liquor store in every strip mall. And it's, I resent that. Why do we need so many liquor stores? So follow the money. Is the government just making so much money off alcohol that they can't turn it down? Like it's, they've, they've normalized it. And then, and I guess commercial glamorization is like alcohol's like everywhere. If you're not drinking alcohol, you're not having fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's why so much of, so many of us are afraid to go into recovery. Like, what will I do if I can't drink? You know? And then we find out that there is plenty of things to do, but. Well, and, and a lot of us speculate about how laws are passed and where they come from and who comes up with them and who decides on what's really what makes the biggest difference. And what we're finding in the recovery laws that are getting passed is that there is no universal lobbying group for recovery, wow. which is why the kind of anonymous program started, right? This idea that we have to come out of the shadows and like, we need to form something and have voices because all the decisions that are being made legally or policy-wise, we don't have a lobbying group. But if you get down to how laws get passed, lobbying groups put a lot of money into campaigns and politicians. And, and it's, you know, I mean, at its base, it's buying people off, but it's not how it looks. It's just like, hey, we'll donate to your campaign. We believe in you. You're a great candidate. Don't forget, we're the Anheuser-Busch company lobbying group, right? <laughs> Big alcohol, as we refer to their lobbying, lobbying group, has a fuck ton of money. They've made a fuck ton of money and they put it in. And so why would anybody ever make a campaign to like consider alcohol as dangerous as everything else and make it illegal? They're not going to because there's no money. If there was an anti-alcohol lobbying group that was uh -huh. putting double the money in, guess what? Alcohol would be illegal. And then everybody who has problem alcohol use would have to be buying it from somebody making it in their basement. And then you know what? There's probably a lot more people resorting to sex work and selling their body and being homeless all about alcohol. And then it looks just the same as every other drug because it's now illegal. But that doesn't happen. I know. So it just, it highlights the whole, to me, at least this conversation, the underlying it's about mental health. It's not because, you know, you're you're big on like, hey, make the drugs legal. and We're, we're going to go. The problem's going to start to go away. Yeah, we need big heroin. So, yeah, big heroin. so, yeah, maybe it's not the problem's not that the liquor store is at every corner. It's like it's almost like defund the alcohol police, you know, like, defund, you know, like maybe like reallocate that money to mental health, you know. Well, it gets fascinating. So look, mm -hmm. look at vaping, right? There's a, a lot of laws and the FDA and all this. There's a lot of things going in with vaping right now. Oh my yeah. God, you're, you're selling to kids. You're selling right. your flavored fucking vapes to kids. Now, look, I'm not to sit here and tell you that vaping's good for you. There's no vitamins and minerals in this goddamn thing that I use. Is it better than smoking for my life? Fuck yes. By leaps and bounds, right? Differences, I can breathe. <laughs> I felt like I couldn't breathe when I smoked cigarettes. When I vape, 
I don't feel that really. I feel fine to breathe. Does that mean it's good for me? No, I'm sure it's harming me. But it's nicer. It's nicer to be around my kids and not smell like smoke all the goddamn time. Right. Like there's some benefits to it. And and guess what? I'm 42 and I like fucking cotton candy flavors. Like it's not just for kids, <laughs> right? Do you have gummy multivitamins? I don't, okay. but I would. Uh, but but we look at Congress and they're like, oh, yeah, well, we need to pass these laws to protect the children. But if you really look at what's happening, that's not what's happening. Oh, I believe you. Yes. They're outlawing vapes, right? Because big tobacco is running out of money. I believe that. Cigarettes totally. aren't getting money. And and look, uh -huh. that the makes plan, so much more sense to the me. The plan isn't yeah. to send people back to cigarettes. Big Tobacco came up with a new plan that's they have their own vape version. They have healthy too. cigarettes. Well, they have their vapes, mm -hmm. but they also have this other thing where you like put nicotine in and it gets heated and produces like a smoke, but it's not actually burning. And so Big Tobacco has the money to lobby against vaping, which is a bunch of small time people just making some juice and trying to, you know, make some money off of it. So now that's why the vaping laws are like, oh, you're hurting our children. We got to get rid of these flavors. We got to <laughs> we got to shut Juul down altogether. Well, it's only because Big Tobacco has the money behind the scenes to say, hey, they're fucking up our bottom line, which means we won't be able to donate to you anymore. Yeah. So help me out because I'm a non-vapor. So is that a Juul? Are they all Juuls? No, Juuls just specific brand. That's what I thought. But are they outlining Juuls, but then other vaping devices are fine? No. So there is so many different convoluted rules and things. So this is uh, the one I happen to like and use is a disposable flavored vape. You cannot buy these in Maryland. Huh. It's illegal. But I can go 10 minutes up the road to Delaware and it's fine. And then Pennsylvania, it's not fine again. But then here you can buy disposable flavored vapes, but they have to be tobacco or menthol flavored. Why? Is that about health? Yeah. <laughs> it's about saving the children, right? No. And they're going to outlaw menthol soon, too. Is well, that the headline I saw? They just... Menthol yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, they're supposed to do that. And they just said that Juul is, pretty much has to shut down altogether like That's they already got read, rid yeah. of their vapes but now right now it's on a hold like they're like appealing it or something so it's on hold for a moment but it's like none of this is really in the interest of public health mm -mm. this isn't in the interest of our society or bettering people and it's the same right. with alcohol and it's been for all this time so the difference when you talk about the difference between alcoholism and addiction yes addiction to other drugs is going to look quote unquote worse on the person mm-hmm but only because the way society looks at alcohol. It's not fundamentally any different. You know, even our local grassroots recovery organization, Voices, they do less for alcoholism than they do for drug addiction. Did you tell me it's because it's the money? Because we, we rely on grants at Voices? Yeah, it's not an active choice. It's not that Voices says, ah, oh, we don't give a fuck about alcohol. We didn't struggle with that. Mm -hmm. The problem is... The grant money that is coming down right now is in response to the opioid crisis. Mm. And so the money only funds people who have had opioid problems. So four people walk into Voices of Hope and they're like, oh, my God, our lives are miserable. We really need help. And two of them use heroin or fentanyl or whatever that stuff is at this point or painkillers, whatever. And they're like, oh, my God, we can get you in a bed in like three hours. Just stay with us. We'll get you help. The next person has a crystal meth problem, right? Totally not an opioid. But they're like, I bet you used heroin like a week ago. Huh. I bet you there was some, you know, it was that night you couldn't fall asleep and you probably just did a little bump of heroin to fall asleep. Or there's probably been fentanyl in some of your crystal meth and you didn't even know it. We're going to get you help. And then the fourth person is like, yeah, I just can't stop drinking. It's ruining my life. It's ruining my marriage. I'm about to lose my job. And they're like, man, that really sucks. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll see if there's something out there for you. Like, and it's not a choice. Like they want to help, but it's almost sad. It's like, if you're, you have an alcohol problem, like, Hey, look, go buy some heroin real quick, <laughs> get it in your system and then come back. I've overheard sometimes like, uh, you know, like somebody I know through the meetings is trying to get their uh, 
partner into detox for alcohol and they're having a really hard time with it because this person has to be either half fucked up or like not too fucked up because of their age or whatever. Like there's right. so many rules and it's because they're just alcohol. Mm-hmm. So trying to get this person medical help, they have to like follow so many rules and they're having a hard time with it. It's so sad. I know a lot of people are like, just go to AA, but you, you know, you, some people need that medical mm-hmm. and not everybody has the financial resources to check you in to like, the nice facility. Right. The fancy rehab. Yeah. Because places. Let's face it. When you're like an alcoholic, making money isn't really <laughs> <laughs> always successful. So, yeah, I know when hanging out with voices, like I, I'm kind of a rarity as far as like my just alcohol. And then don't get me wrong. I did like through drinking, you know, I smoked pot and tried different pills and stuff. But mostly I just wanted to be drunker. So alcohol was my like main thing. <laughs> but, um. Uh, yeah, it's such a shame that like, I don't, I don't know. You can't get help for just alcohol. Like you can for drugs. And, and there's a lot, so there's a lot of treatment centers out there at this point that have the ability to, because of this response to the opioid crisis, and this isn't a bad thing, but they have the ability to help detox and monitor from that substance, right? There's the ability to provide Suboxone for the detox and things of that nature, but the medical monitoring it takes because alcohol is such a, a drug and such a poison, the medical monitoring required to detox someone off a severe alcohol addiction, not everywhere is equipped to do that. There's not as many facilities that are able to take it on. And then even facilities that are able don't necessarily want to. Like it, it's, if I can fill the 30 beds I have in this detox, with people that are going to cost me $300 a piece to detox per day. And I'm going to save a lot of money versus if I fill all those beds with somebody who costs a thousand dollars of medical monitoring a day for alcohol. So like, and I'm not saying that any place is doing this, but it definitely felt that way when I was trying to get people help. Well, and I mean, I think it's also these, their businesses, they have to survive. So, Sometimes it's like make it or break it. Like we got to keep these employees on. I get it. It sucks, but I get it. I don't even want to look at that. No? Okay. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Yeah. I mean, that's like saying, you know, that just to me is almost like justifying the outrageous insurance problems we have uh, in our country. Yeah. Okay. Like, so no, my, so my open-mindedness on that kind of like <laughs> I mean, went, went sour, went bad. But Well, as as a company, as that small time company that's trying to help people and trying to stay in business. Yes, they do have to stay in business, but as an overarching Uh problem throughout the way our medical and insurance worlds work, that's almost like justifying, yep, the insurances are right. We just got to do the best we can. Yeah, you're right. Somebody was telling me about France the other day and they said, every doctor's visit is $28 and the portion you pay is based on how much you make. How about that? Right. Sounds pretty good. It does sound good. I'm like, yeah. oui, oui, je m'appelle Jason. <laughs> Bonjour. I know. Well, my I have like some friends online in the UK and they're just like, you know, like they can't believe what we go through here, you know, and they're just like, so you, you know, there's things that I have skipped on because I can't even afford the copays mm-hmm. that I've passed on taking care of myself because of the copays and they're like what <laughs> we make fun of the british for their teeth <laughs> that's a thing right but uh-huh. i i many times because my teeth have always been in disarray and i do brush my teeth god damn it it's just i guess what i was born with or the mouth breathing Genetics. i do i think yeah. that's what the book said it said my mouth breathing causes my teeth to deteriorate whatever really? yeah i know it's crazy um <laughs> but there's you know insurance for dental sucks you get like a thousand dollar limit every year. Mm-hmm. And so every year it's like, I'll fix these three priorities. And then when my insurance runs out, I'll schedule again in January for next mm-hmm. year. I mean, it was like $18,000 for one tooth to get a re-root That's canal. crazy. Right. For one little tooth. I know. Actually, I'm I'm waiting on inheritance. Like, a, this is terrible, but like some, one of my elders will pass. And I'm like, cool. I can get my teeth fixed. <laughs> Damn luxury bones you have in your mouth. <laughs> you don't need those bones you're fine (laughs) i don't know it's crazy so yeah i guess uh ultimately you know i don't know if we've gotten any 
great insight out of this episode, but just the idea like there really isn't any fundamental difference between the addictive or problem or disordered use behavior in itself. That is the same across the board. The difference is the way we look at one of these substances versus the rest. And I mean, obviously, besides being highly unfair <laughs> to anybody who doesn't happen to be on that choice substance that everybody glorifies, mm -hmm. um, it, it just seems stupid. Like, there's no good reason for it. Do you think it's getting better? Do you think we're getting better? Honestly, I thought we were. Uh-huh. And then doing this podcast has been like eye-opening that like, it does not feel like it. Your neighborhood, for example, does right. not look any different. I don't know. I, I do think this shift to legalize cannabis is changing the landscape of some things. Not with all drugs. We're still going to have the, oh my God, those goddamn heroin users over there, right? That's still going to be a thing for now, but to shift to where any other thing is legalized and looked at differently in the drug community is a big shift to me. I, I don't know how long or slow that process takes for it to catch on that, like, maybe we've been looking at all these wrong, um, but that's a difference. I mean, that's a huge difference. Well, and I mean, I feel like we're getting, we're, it's, I feel like we have an uphill, still a very steep uphill battle for how we look at and treat mental health. But I think as that improves, the perception of addiction will improve. So, you know, from my little meager point of view, like the kids in school, there's a lot of, there's a lot more emphasis on mental health and feelings and coping than there ever was when I was in elementary school. So just from the, like the public elementary school perspective, I think there's more. And then in social media, there's a lot, maybe it's just how I see social media. Maybe some people aren't subscribing to the same oh, people yeah. that, you know, like they're not following the same people I am. You're but... on uh, you're on truth social, right? Is that what you're, <laughs> <laughs> is that where you're getting all that positive Jenny's mental health social? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I do feel like at least in America, like we're trying to get to a place of better mental health. And then maybe perhaps that separation of addictions will just start to dissipate and we will start seeing the fact that it is all addiction. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. If we could all step back and see that in, in our life, in some way, shape, or form, minor, major, there is something that we use to cope that affects right. us and has negative consequences and we don't stop doing it. It might only have minor negative consequences, but there's something that we buy into that we use, even though we know at some point in time we'd prefer not to or we'd prefer to do it less, or we'd prefer to have more control. If we could all step back and see that in ourselves, I feel like it would be easier to understand, oh, that's what that person's going through. I saw a meme one time. It was like, you don't understand what it's like to be a, a drug addict or be suffer with drug addiction. Put your phone down. And then every time you think about picking it up, don't. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, and that might not Good affect one. everybody, but probably everybody that's listening to this is on a phone mm -hmm. <laughs> or at least has a phone. Yeah. Think how many times, I mean, I, I've checked like my, my screen health app or whatever that tells me how many times I open my phone a day. It's fucking crazy. I don't, even days I don't spend a lot of time on it. I fucking open it a billion times. Even if I open it and I'm like, what did I get on here for? And then open I open it again habit, to check the yeah. time. And then I open it again to see if there's notifications. And then I, oh, and then I set it down. Then I'm like, oh, what's the weather tomorrow? Uh, oh, what happened in that news thing I read earlier? Oh my God, what did Jenny put on Facebook? Like, <laughs> it's constant. Yeah, like, I have found myself opening it and I'm like searching, like, what do I want to check? What do I want to check? And I'm like, what the fuck have I come to? You know, like that when I don't even, I open it just to find something to open. Like... And then I'm like, oh, man, I got a problem. And the fact is, if you want to understand what the obsession and compulsion feels like, put that phone down. And every time you think about opening it, don't. Try that out. Just try it out for five minutes. See what it feels like. Maybe if that doesn't feel like much, try it for 20 minutes. And don't do anything else. Mm -hmm. Just sit there. Holy shit. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, if you're wondering, there is no biological or chemical difference between alcoholism and addiction. They are one and the same in the way we understand the brain as of today in 2022. Nothing. They're the same. 
We just look at them differently and look at the people who use them differently just because we choose to. So that's it. Stay safe out there. Bye. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.